Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. As I begin, brace yourself. A man called Walt Heyer is an author of a book called Trance Life Survivors. And uh, he runs a website now and an organization called sexchangeregret.com. Very interesting man, an interesting book, an interesting story. Uh, Walt Heyer lived as a woman for eight years. He had a trance operation, became a woman, then after eight years regretted it and then went back to being a man. Now he runs an organization where he looks after people like this and helps them And he's a Christian, and he helps them make the right decision. In the book, he tells a story of a young man who confided in him called Nathaniel. And Nathaniel told him his story. And Nathaniel tells him this, and I want to read it to you. He says, less than a year after having gender surgery, Nathaniel regrets it. And Nathaniel says the following, this whole thing was a bad idea. I'm 19 years old, and I feel as though I've ruined my life. Nathaniel says that he was bullied by boys in elementary school because he was sensitive and preferred playing girl games. When he was a bit older, he discovered internet pornography, heard about transgenderism, and as he says, I convinced myself that what I was. He started seeing a doctor a week after his 15th birthday, and from then, he describes the years of his teens. He, said, he, he says, I, I, I'd say going to the clinic And seeing the doctors didn't improve my life. From then on, he says, I slowly detached from everything until I was just staying home, playing video games and going on the internet all day. I stopped reading, drawing, riding my bicycle. I surrounded myself in an echo chamber that supported and validated my poor decisions because the others were also, unfortunately, stuck in that pit too. A month after his 18th birthday, he had surgery, encouraged by doctors, And he suffered some complications that required a second surgery a few months later. And he had facial surgery to feminize his appearance. Nine months later, he says, now that I'm headed from the surgeries, now that I'm healed from the surgeries, I regret them. The result of the bottom surgery looks like a Frankenstein hack job at best. And that got me thinking critically about myself. I turned myself into a plastic surgery facsimile of a woman, but I knew I still wasn't one. I became, and to an extent still feel, deeply depressed. And the unpopular truth, the author says, which Nathaniel unfortunately learned the hard way at a young age, is this. A man is not a woman and can't ever become a woman, even with surgically refashioned genitals and feminizing facial surgery. He goes on to say, Nathaniel's story is not unique. Specifics may vary, but he says, I found that everyone who regrets can point to something that happened that caused them not to want to be who they are and attempt to become something else. You know, this article and this story came to my attention. I realized something very important, and this is a statement I want to make. Decisions have very serious ramifications. And some decisions not only have serious ramifications, those decisions cannot be reversed. And so if you're going to make decisions in life, and all of us have to make decisions, 
you better think through and you better be able to make wise decisions. Because every day of your life that you wake up, you have to make decisions. Isn't that true? Decision making is part of life. And the bigger the decision, the more complicated, the more you need God's wisdom, not just human wisdom and human opinion. You really need to seek the wisdom of God. I was reading that over our lifetime, the average person will make 773,600 decisions and regret 143,200 of them. That's 20% of the decisions we make in our lives we will regret. I believe we need wisdom from God so that we live with less regret and with more confidence because of the decisions we've made. How many people do you know in your life who have ruined their lives or taken their lives through poor decisions? Many. And so this morning I want to speak to you on how to make wise decisions. How to make wise decisions because life is about making decisions. Every day you wake up, you have to make decisions and some are of no consequence whether you're gonna put butter on your toast or not. Doesn't matter. But some are life altering and some can't be reversed. And so we really need God's wisdom. I found this saying to be quite profound and it would be true of us. It says this, it may be true that there are two sides to every question, but it is also true that there are two sides to a sheet of fly paper. And it makes a big difference to the fly which side he chooses. In fact, Stephen Covey explains it like this, and I think it's something we need to take cognizance of about decisions. Stephen Covey says, I'm not a product of my circumstances, I'm a product of my decisions. You see, you can end up on the wrong side of flypaper, and then you want to blame the flypaper. You blame the country, blame your family, blame your spouse. No, you made a decision. We make decisions who we're going to marry. So, oh, if I'd known, well, did you make a wise decision? If you didn't, sometimes you have to live with the consequences. Did you buy a car that you now realize, oh, so they'll only give me half back for it? You better pause and now to make wise decisions. Because there's, there's demonic wisdom, which is from the pit. There's human wisdom, which only sees on this plane. And then there's divine wisdom, which looks at everything from the beginning to the end and sees from a heavenly perspective. I want divine wisdom. Human wisdom is inadequate. And we must know how to make wise decisions. In fact, it's one of the key qualities of successful executives. A lot of executives go and study, they get MBAs, they do all sorts of things, but then they can't make good decisions. Your MBA will not help you if you're not good at decision making. John Maxwell put it like this, he said, inability to make decisions is one of the principal reasons executives fail. Deficiency in decision making ranks much higher than lack of specific knowledge or technical know-how as an indicator of leadership failure. It's not what you know, it's not what you do. It's the ability to make decisions. Now the wisest man in the world was Solomon next to Jesus. And Solomon showed godly wisdom. And we can learn from the examples of Solomon's wisdom, both in Proverbs and as recorded in the book of 1 Kings. And one of those passages we're going to read in just a moment, where Solomon encountered two prostitutes and had to exercise godly wisdom. We're going to read it, then I'm going to give you eight ways that you can make godly decisions. Eight indicators or eight ways that you can apply so that you can make godly, wise decisions. Are you ready? So this morning, let's read from 1 Kings chapter 3 about Solomon's wisdom. 
It says, now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. Customers were slow that night. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. And she put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. Pretty callous, eh? The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive, and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead, and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. Four words that must have sent chills down their spines. So they brought a sword for the king, and he gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive and deeply moved out of love for her son said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Isn't it amazing how wisdom cuts through all the noise, through all the opinion, through all the nonsense and the emotion to the real truth? I don't know about you, but I don't want emotion. I don't want opinion. I want wisdom from God. And I want to make wise decisions that save lives and render good judgment because our nation needs it. Eight guidelines for wise decision making. Number one, the first guideline you need is the word of God. And if you're writing notes this morning, you can write in brackets, applying the principle of instruction. If you're gonna make a decision, you need some wisdom from God, from the word of God, some instruction that has already been written. And the basic guidelines for decision-making are in the Bible. There's wisdom for sexuality. There's wisdom with money. There's wisdom with business. There's wisdom with marriage. There's wisdom with relationships. There's wisdom with health. Everything that we need is in the Bible, and the principles are there. Now, here's a problem that we have with the Word of God. People say, I can read the Bible, but how do I know what the will of God is? Anyone in the room like that? You're, oh, yes. Well, when you look at the will of God in the Bible, just quickly, you get what's called God's sovereign will. God is in charge, he's all wise, and he'll do what he wants to when he wants to. And there's nothing you can do about that, God will do it. He moves nations, he raises up people, sovereign will of God. But the next will of God, if you like, when you read the phrase in the Bible, is the moral will of God, which is to do with behavior, and most of the Bible is to do with the moral will of God. What you must do that's right, and what you mustn't do that's wrong. Are you with me? And most of us, we miss that because we're looking for the third will of God, which is called directive. Now, what do you mean by directive? Shall I buy white bread or brown bread? Shall I go live in Dubai or should I stay here? Most of us are not reading God's will. We're not reading his general moral will. 
We're trying to find that specific direction. And that is rare in the Bible, whereas the general will of God is very clear. Are you with me? So when making decisions, don't walk around weird. Is that you, Lord? Or open the Bible. Ooh, that's not it. Ooh, that's not it. You know the famous one where the man was looking for guidance. And he flipped open the Bible. Hmm? And he read, and Judas hung himself. And he thought, ooh, no. And then he opened it a second time. Go and do likewise. That's not the way to get guidance. Are you with me? And we, 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 we so are so ruled by opinion that we go to the word of God lost. Why would you ask the opinions of people around you instead of going to the word of God? People ask the barber, do you think I should invest in stocks and shares? In... Well, he's still a barber. If he knew, he wouldn't be cutting your hair. <laughs> With all respect to all our wonderful hairdressers. Hmm? Proverbs 1 and verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. And it's amazing how we listen to opinions. On the news, I constantly hear the news, and then they say, and what is Twitter saying? And Instagram lit up with. Why would we listen to it when it's just basically collective ignorance? Very quiet in this Methodist church this morning. But opinions rule. Napoleon Hill, the great author, said this, opinions are the cheapest commodity on earth. Everyone has a flock of opinions ready to be wished upon anyone who will accept them. If you're influenced by opinions, when you reach decisions, you will not succeed in any undertaking. We've constantly got to go to higher authority. And sometimes we let the people around us who are shouting speak in terms of giving us guidance instead of letting God speak. Let me give you an example of that. In California, there was a family whose lawn died. And the municipality there, they called the city, the city sent them a notice saying, if you don't water your lawn, we're going to fine you $500. 7,500 rand. Quite a lot of money. But they had heard that the government has said that they mustn't use water to water the lawn, otherwise they're going to get a $500 fine. So who do you listen to? You listen to the higher authority who says there's a water so shortage, not the municipality who tells you to water your lawn. Because in California you get a fine if your lawn doesn't look good. Talk about first world. Imagine how many fines we'd have here. You have to go to the higher authority, and the word of God is the higher authority when making decisions. A lot of people end up with problems because they didn't consult God's word. And we have to go to the word of God, and we have to take what it says. Let me read to you what A.W. Tozer says. He says, the true follower of Christ will not ask, if I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? Rather, he will say, this is truth. God, help me to walk in it. Let come what may. Jesus, 20 times in the gospel, says, it is written. It is written, Jesus used the word of God as a guide for his life. And if you're making decisions that you want wisdom from God, you better use the word of God. Number two, the second guide for making wise decisions is looking at circumstances. Applying the principle of observation. Looking around you at what is happening in your life and using wisdom by observation. Now, let me give you an idea of this because some people think faith is beyond observation. Larry Burkett is, uh, was a financial author, brilliant man, written many, many books that I have referred to. And uh, he spoke in one of his books 
about a young couple who wanted to buy a home, but they felt it was too expensive for them. This home was out of their reach. So they went to God about buying this house, and they said to the Lord, if you want us to buy it, have the contractor accept only half of what he's asking for the deposit, and have the bank approve our loan. Well, both events happened. They paid half the deposit, and the bank granted their loan. But not long after they lived in that house, they got into major debt and couldn't pay for it. Now, here's their problem. They had brought God into it and made it God's decision instead of looking at their circumstances and saying, we can't afford this house. Are you with me? So when you're going to buy a car now, what are you going to look at? Are you going to look, I'm walking by faith. No, you're not. You're walking by foolishness. You govern by shape, not circumstances. You should look at your circumstances. We can't afford it. Now, you know, you might get an increase, you can stretch yourself, but wisdom says, let me look at the circumstances. Let me look at the economy of the country. Maybe it's time just to pause a bit here. I'm going to buy a house, but interest rates could go up. Can I afford it if they went up maybe 1%? Or You've got to think that through. That's the way to make a decision. You go to the Word of God, the Word of God tells you God wants to prosper you, He tells you to trust Him, and He wants to give you increase, and the righteous shall prosper, and so you, you get the principle that you have to look at the circumstances. Hmm? If the circumstances around you say something, listen to them. If you go to work and you're attracted to someone, really attracted, and you think, wow, if they married, the circumstances are telling you you can't have them. Don't go to church and I'm believing God, I'm believing they're going to leave their husband or wife. No, 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 come on. The word of God, then the circumstances. Then you make wise decisions. Am I helping you or is this too basic? Hmm? See, Proverbs 21 says this, human wisdom, brilliance, insight, they have no help if the Lord is against you. And sometimes the circumstances, you think you're cleverer than them, you do need to stretch yourself when doing things, but you do need to really look at the circumstances and make very wise decisions. Your kids are about to go to university. Maybe you need to rethink that car or that extension on your house until maybe they're done. Circumstances are a way to make good decisions. Number three, inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and it's applying the principle of inspiration. The principle of inspiration, where God can speak to you from His Spirit and inspire you. And in Acts chapter 15, we read about the, the apostles making a decision, and this was their conclusion. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So they used their brains, they looked at the word, they looked at circumstances, and then they felt the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, and coupled with that, they made the decision. Are you with me? And people say to me, man, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit or not? It's actually very easy. You can mistake the Holy Spirit for your feelings when you're not walking close to God. But if you daily are in the word and in prayer, you'll know when it's your emotions or whether it's the Holy Spirit. But we tend to think the Holy Spirit is something weird. He comes on you in a meeting and you begin to shake and you begin to laugh and get all weird. No, he can do, you don't have to have a physical symptom. You can just know. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's not on Comedy Central. He speaks with wisdom and sensibility. Are you with me? 
In Romans 8 and verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He speaks. He's the, he's the person who speaks. But you do have to weigh everything up because sometimes God's Spirit is trying to speak, but your emotions are so strong that you push it away. Do you remember King Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, anointed by Samuel, the Bible says, and Samuel identified him and anointed him as king. And the Bible says, and Samuel spoke over him, having anointed him. And he said these words to Saul in 1 Samuel 10. He says, at that time, the spirit of the Lord will come mightily upon you. Notice it, mightily. And you will prophesy with them. And you will feel and act like a different person. From that time on, your decision should be based on whatever seems best under the circumstances, for the Lord will guide you. When you study King Saul, you discover that he made bad decisions because he let fear and his own emotions squash out the voice of the Spirit. He was given the freedom to make decisions, but his own selfish desires pushed away the Holy Spirit. We've got to be careful that we're not so stubborn the Holy Spirit can't speak because the inner prompting of the Spirit will come. Number four, are you being helped? Number four, seek mature counsel. That's applying the principle of consultation. It's very quiet in this church this morning. Have you all changed membership? Have you signed up somewhere else that or are you afraid that if you say, like in Korea, amen, that spatters might go on your neighbor and then they may get the virus. Maybe you could just, if you agree with me, amen. <laughs> Is this helping you this morning? Proverbs 24 and verse 6, the more advice you get, the more likely you are to win. Isn't that great? Proverbs 11 and verse 14, for lack of guidance, a nation fails, but victory is won through many advisors. Now, can I give you a word of warning here? When it says mature counsel, don't just go to your friends, because friends sometimes feel obliged to give you an opinion. You ask, so I have to tell you. How many of you have gone to your friends, asked their advice, then when it doesn't work out, you go to them and you say to them, you told me, and they said, well, you know, you asked us. You see, they don't have to pay a price for a wrong decision. They can just go, sorry. You have to live with it. So you're going to be very careful. Thomas Sowell, he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. He's an economist and a social theorist in America. And uh, he says it's about politics, but it's true of life. He says it's hard to imagine a more stupid and more dangerous way of making decisions than by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. If you're gonna ask for mature counsel, what is it gonna cost them? And are they really mature or are they just people in your vicinity? You really need mature people of God to give you wise counsel. Even if you don't like it, it may be what you need if you're serious about making decisions. Number five, and this might surprise you, and here's the reason it's number five, personal desires. Most people put personal desires number one. I'm making a decision, this is what I want. This is the principle of, or applying the principle, this is applying the principle of satisfaction. What do I want? What would make me happy? Do you notice it's number five, not number one? For some people, it's number one, two, and three. 
And the Bible says here to remind you, Psalm 37 and verse 4, take delight in the Lord for he will give you the desires of your heart. See, God wants to give you what you want. He wants to satisfy you. But however, you need to first take delight in him. Don't take delight in yourself because then your heart is after yourself. And when you're putting God first, you're saying, Lord, I want to buy a new car. What want my house. But I don't want to stop tithing. I want to keep honoring you and serving you. I want to date so-and-so, but I don't want it to take me away from you. I'd love to get married, Lord, but, but it, would you guide me? Would you, make, would you bless me, or would you give me wisdom? Can you see? First, the word. Hmm? Then the circumstances. You look at the person. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You get mature counsel. They don't tell you what you want to hear. Hmm? They speak into your life, and they guide you. And the bigger the decision the more counsel you need. And I would encourage you, when your personal desires are in it, you've got, to, you've got to slow down. You've got to pause longer. When you go buy a car, you go into the showroom, you look at it, oh, I want it. I've always wanted one of those. And then you go home. And they'll tell you it's a once-off deal, not to repeat it. They lie. You go back, it's still there. Come on now. I can see that's why only a couple of you are clapping. <laughs> You've got to pause because your personal desires can override all the wisdom of God. Yeah. Are you with me today? Yeah. Proverbs 19 and verse 2. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. The bigger the decision, the more you need to pause, especially when you really want it. Warren Buffett, who's a brilliant investor, he says, I insist on a lot of time being spent almost every day to just sit and think. That is very uncommon in American business. I read and think. So I do more reading and thinking and make less impulsive decisions than most people in business. By all means, you've got a personal desire. God says, I want to bless you. But just take a moment to think. Number six, are you still with me? Common sense, which is not so common. It is applying the principle of evaluation. It's very similar to looking at circumstances, but it's using your mind and your abilities and what you've been taught and your experiences and really looking at life thoroughly using common sense. We, we often ignore the facts and, and the basics. I often hear Christians saying, I can't afford this car and I can't afford this house, but I, by faith I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to buy it. Well, good luck to you. Because when the trouble cometh, and you know trouble cometh exceedingly quicketh, imaginations one and verse one, then what are you going to do? Hmm? We need to look at the facts and not blur the facts. And facts can't be changed. They are facts. Isn't that true? Proverbs 18 and verse 13. What a shame. How stupid to decide before knowing the facts. And they say most small businesses fail not because of lack of enthusiasm or lack of an idea. They fail because of what they call uneducated enthusiasm. You're full of passion, but you don't know what you're doing. And you can't just have passion. You need facts. You can't just be excited about something. You've got to have the facts and you've got to use common sense. Proverbs 13 and verse 16. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge. You've got to look at the basics of life. Are you with me this morning? And sometimes you can look at the basics of life and think you can get away with it. 
Let me read you an example here in Proverbs 24. Everyone with me? I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. And I saw that it was overgrown with nettles and it was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. What was the problem here? This person thought they could just keep sleeping and a harvest would grow. Some people think you can do nothing and life will turn out well. Your house will stay painted, your crops will grow, you will end up with investments and bonuses, but you don't have to do anything. You just put your feet up and you can spend most of your time on holiday and you can work three days a week. It's not the real world. I'm trusting God. He told me not to strive. Ooh. You need to go back to number one. Read the word of God. All hard work brings a profit. Hmm? And some people try and deny reality and think they can work against reality. That's not common sense. Some people just have no experience of life. How many of you, if you don't have experience of life, you should ask someone? Another proverb, all the wisdom here, Proverb 7. I saw some naive young man, another one who lacks life experience, uh, uh, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near a woman of an... He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. He just didn't know what he didn't know. Oh, I'm just going to go down there. She's that skirt is short, eh? Sure. People who go to places and do things and end up in situations because they were naive. Common sense from the word will keep you from naivety. And being in church around people of wisdom will keep you from naivety. But sometimes we lack common sense. It's not so common. Proverbs 3 and verse 21. My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them. In other words, you can have it and you can let it go. We need to hold on to it and we need to make some wise decisions. Number seven. Now you might find number seven strange. You say, well, why wasn't it first? Because having done all the others, you get to this one. Pray. Pray. And this is applying the principle, listen, of submission. Most people would pray right at the beginning. Well, you can, and I put these in a distinct order. Now, having done all these things and used your head and applied wisdom, you now go to God and you ask him, is this what you want? And I'm willing for it to be put aside or for you to say no. Most people it's like, no, I want this. And unless God shows up in person, I'm doing it. Hmm? See, Jesus prayed all night, then he chose the disciples. We've got to apply the principle of submission. Can you say amen? amen? And I believe that if you apply that principle, then God will speak. Proverbs 28, a man is foolish to trust himself, but those who use God's wisdom are safe. So we need to give it to God and leave it to God and let him guide us. And we pray as submission. Lord, I give you this thing. I want to do it. The circumstances seem right. I've used common sense. I feel that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I've gone to people and I've got advice. I can't see anything against it in your word. Now I bring it to you. Would you give me a yes or no? That shows if he's Lord or if you're just attending church. Come on now. He's got to be Lord. Hmm? And here's the thing. When you want your way, this is what the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. When you're stubborn about something, God says, okay, puts up his hand. 
When you say, God, whatever you will, I'm going to let this thing go. And Lord, if I let it go and you make it possible, I'll know it's you. Then you can feel safe. I've made decisions about houses like that. We, we've done that as a couple, about buying motor cars. You don't, you don't go, I want it, I've always wanted that shape, and I think I deserve it, and I'm old enough, and I can afford it. No, you go, you have a look at it, and you talk to the dealer, and I'll come back to you. Well, look at this car, you know, four people have looked at it. Well, let them take it if it's God's will. And then you go back three weeks later, I see it's still here. You can knock it down some more. That's why I drive a car that I paid half the price of the new car for. Come on now. See, people see my car. I was, I was in Kalami recently, and someone walked past me as I was driving out, and I could see them in the rearview mirror there. It's like, oh, there we lost another couple. Because they don't understand that the decision was not just made off the cuff. This, was, this, has, been, this has been wisdom. You need wisdom in making decisions. And you need to let God say no. And if he doesn't say no, well, then you enjoy it. You don't care what people say. Number eight, here's the last one. Has this helped anyone today? Number eight, the peace of God. This whole process of the seven things should lead to peace. You've prayed, you're not stressed. And now you have the peace of God. Are you with me? They say the worst time you can make a decision, listen, is when you're stressed. Stressed people have been shown to make wrong decisions. And can I add to this? They also say people who are not fit also make wrong decisions. So it's important for you to not be anxious, and it's important for you to keep your life and your body in good condition, because otherwise you will make the wrong decisions. Your flesh will govern you rather than the wisdom of God. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, it says, don't, do not be anxious about anything. In other words, don't be stressed or negative. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Now watch. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, if you like, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You'll know that this is a good decision to make. And by the way, the peace of God, this is, the, this is applying the principle of initiation. When you've got this, you can go. Because everything lines up. I've got peace about it. I'm going to make the decision. Does this make sense? Notice here in Colossians, it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. No peace, no decision. Peace, you can go. You can move. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Watch this. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. There's not that restlessness. There's, there's, there's a sense of, this is okay. And the only time you'll have peace when you're wrong is when you're in deception. It's when you insist on your way, when you're just looking for a feeling of comfort, when you haven't gone to the Word, you haven't gone to counsel, then you can end up in deception, and you can tell people, like Christians have told me, I've got a peace about it. I'm leaving my husband or wife. I've got a peace. No, you haven't got a peace about it. You can't apply one thing. You're only applying the principle of initiation. Go back. The process leads to peace. And you must make these decisions when you're in the right frame of mind. There's a favorite saying of mine. If you hesitate and look at all the details each time before taking a step, you could find yourself spending a large portion of your life standing on one leg. How many of you know if you're going to take a step and then you think about it too much? No, once you've got the peace, you go. Otherwise, you'll be standing on one leg. You need to be moving forward. 
and you need to make a decision, and then you need to commit to it. Too many of us have got too many options, too many opinions. We don't know what to do. Then when it goes wrong, we blame God, we blame the devil, we blame the country, we blame our family, and we become victims. That's not how wise people live. Two things before I close this morning, and I've closed giving you information now. You can stop writing if you like. This is a story I told some while back, but I think it bears worth. This is a story I told some time back, but it bears repeating. Luciano Pavarotti, the famous opera singer, when he was just a little boy, his father was a baker, humble man, and he went to his dad and he asked his dad advice. What should I be? And his dad recognized that he had a good voice, and he said, I, I suggest that you, you know, develop your voice. And, and, and so he got him a teacher, a very famous teacher in the, his hometown of Medina in Italy, and he started studying and working with the teacher to develop his voice. But because he wasn't sure that this was the right thing, he registered at teacher's college. And so while developing his voice with this coach and this teacher, he also went to teacher's college to learn how to be a teacher. Anyway, he says... On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. He says, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first personal appearance. It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera, which is really high. And now he says, I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, or whatever you choose, you should give yourself to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. You see, church, just can I say this? Some of you are on the brink of big decisions. Do you know that no decision is also a decision? Some people, when confronted with Jesus, do you know Jesus? No, I'm not sure. I'll wait. That's a decision. Every decision you make is a decision. You, 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 no decision is a decision. And I think sometimes because a decision is unpleasant, and I'll say this before we pray. I've got a couple of moments here. Before I pray with you this morning, you, you've been helped? Sometimes you have to take the pain of a decision to prevent something worse happening. It's like when your car's going to be repossessed. It's best to phone the bank before that happens and to try and arrange it than to have your car taken away. Then you end up being sued, you end up in court, you end up with extra interest. You didn't take the pain and embarrassment, now you're facing something bigger. Are you with me? Your marriage is in trouble, you didn't go for counsel, you thought the counselors couldn't help you, so you'd rather wait until you're in a nasty divorce where you're swearing at each other in court and they're suing the pants off you. You could have prevented that pain by dealing with this pain. Do you know salvation is a bit like that? I was reading about a skier who during the Olympics jumped off a ramp, you know those, those big ramps that jumped off, and while he was in the air, he realized this, I'm going to fast. If I carry on with this trajectory, I'm gonna go right beyond the landing point, and I'm gonna kill myself. I'll die if I land beyond that point. In, among spectators, I'll be killed. So instead of continuing the jump, he allowed himself to fall down a massive height and rolled all the way down, you know that steep hill? Rolled all the way down, all the way down, and, and was bruised and in and massive pain when he got up, but he was still alive. He chose the pain rather than death. And some people, when faced with eternity, you're on a trajectory where you're going to end up in a lost eternity. They'd rather, rather stay on that trajectory than face the pain of making a decision for Jesus. I've got to die to self. I've got to walk with God. What are my friends are going to say? 
It's best to make that decision and handle the pain, but enjoy eternal life. Then continue on your course. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.